You're listening to The 66, a podcast in which we survey the Bible one book at a time, and we are beginning a new project with this episode, which is episode 42, I believe, the book of Jeremiah. We've been thinking about Jeremiah for a while. It's a bit intimidating, 55 chapters, it's a lot of material to cover, but uh, we're also excited about getting into it because, like a lot of our listeners, uh, we are not as familiar with Jeremiah as we are with other parts of the Bible, and that means there is much to discover here. So we're really excited about digging into this book uh, in a way we never have before, discovering new truths that God has revealed for us. We believe that all books of the Bible, all 66 of them, have been inspired by God and are profitable for us today. And it doesn't matter if it's an Old Testament book or a New Testament book, there's something about our lives that it can teach us. So we're studying the book of Jeremiah, and uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we have a lot of other books that we've covered. You can go to our website, the66.net, 66 is a number, and uh, you can see what we've done so far. But uh, Jeremiah, since this is the first episode on Jeremiah, we're going to cover chapter 1, but in that reading... We're going to um, we're going to give a lot of background introductory material. Now, having said right. that, let me let me say this at the onset. Uh, I was talking to somebody about the fact that we were um, going to do this on the podcast, and she said to me, "I'm not a big history fan." Well, I don't want people to think that Jeremiah is just a history book. It's so much more than that. It's right. very applicable, and we're going to do our best to make it apply. In fact, this podcast is always broken down into three parts. Read, think, apply. So if you're a little, let's say, bored in the first (laughs) uh, part of it, hang on because we'll get deeper in the second part. If you're really bored then, just hang on because by the time we get to the third part, we're going to be getting very practical, everyday advice from God's scripture. That's the idea that, that... so each episode hopefully has something for everybody. Right. Um, so get us started, um, Andrew. Uh, I forgot to introduce ourselves here. Uh, I'm Drew Kaiser, and this is Andrew Kingsley with me, and he's going to get us started on a reading of Jeremiah chapter 1. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned something about the some of the boring historical stuff, or boring to a lot of folks. Uh, then we're going to come right in and talk about it to start with, but we'll get it out of the way early. Um that way the rest of it can be good, I guess, for those of you that aren't big history buffs. But it's hard to avoid history here because the first three verses, that covers over 100 years from the time Josiah starts reigning. Because we have Josiah mentioned here. From the time Josiah starts reigning to the end of the captivity in Jerusalem, well, here's Jeremiah giving you 100 years worth of stuff in three verses. Wow. So, I mean, we've got, we'd be remiss if we didn't stop to... Just mention what's going on here, and the easy way to do it, I think, is to just take it name by name, and that'll move us forward um, in the timeline. You can see verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. And you might recognize that name, Hilkiah, uh, from the days of Josiah. This is not that same Hilkiah, correct? The one that finds the book of the law in the temple. This is a different Hilkiah. Uh, here's how we know that. Uh, one of the priests who was in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. Anathoth is a little town about three miles north of Jerusalem. 
Um, one of David's priests, actually the high priest, when David was ruling, the name was Abiathar. Now, he was exiled to this city by Solomon. Um, and so he's living there. He's been living there uh, since the days of David. Obviously, Hilkiah as a priest is going to come from the line of that guy, uh, that priest, rather, named Abiathar. So Jeremiah and consequently his father Hilkiah as well are descendants of this high priest Abiathar uh, from the rule of David. But uh, not Hilkiah the high priest of Josiah's day. Right. Not the high priest of Josiah's day. Hilkiah would have been out an out an outcast really exiled out to this small town outside of Jerusalem rather than being the high priest in Jerusalem. So, Are we absolutely sure about that? Because <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I thought this, I, not only because I saw the name and it was familiar to me from Second Kings 22 and 23, I, I thought we were looking at Josiah's right-hand man here. Well, I mean, it could but, be, I guess, my, my line of thought, and it could be wrong here, but my line of thought is that Hilkiah is the son of, or he's a descendant of this man that was exiled out to this small city uh, the priest that you read in Second Kings 22 that's working with Josiah is a man that is in Jerusalem working closely with the king. Anathoth, though, was not too far from Jerusalem, correct? Right, three miles north. Okay. But the family, just based on but the fact that the he family was, was exiled. exiled by Solomon because Abiathar, who's Hilkiah's father, or not father, but uh, on down the line, he supported Adonijah as becoming king. And so Solomon got rid of him. And so the family's out there. So interesting things to talk about here. I guess we can come back to in the next section. Um, but either way, you can take those with a grain of salt. Uh, but this gives you some background into where Jeremiah comes from, the small town outside of Jerusalem. Well, you know what? I'm just talk, hearing you spell it out. I think you're right because... Okay. I didn't mean to ambush you there. I just, I, <laughs> okay. I'm learning. See, I'm already learning. But yeah. if Jeremiah was writing this, would he have called Hilkiah, if he was referring to the chief priest or the high priest of Josiah, would he have referred to him as one of the priests who were in Anathoth? No. Yeah. He said the chief priest. Right. So I think there had to have been two. But he was a priest, and yeah. Jeremiah came from a priestly line. Yeah, there's a lot of. So. There's a lot of debate to be had there, I think. But I, I but. think you're on to something there. I, I, you know, I don't think he would have described him in this manner if it had been the yeah. Hilkiah. Well, we'll move forward yeah. based on that assumption. If anybody's got uh, wants to take issue with that, you can uh, send us an email or um, leave a comment on our website, and we'll get to it. Uh, but we get to verse two, and we see to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. Josiah is a very familiar character, I'm sure, uh, to everybody. Josiah came to the throne in about 640 B.C. and reigned for 31 years. In his 12th year, which is going to be 628, uh, he began to purge Judah of Jerusalem and idolatry. In his 18th year, Hilkiah, the other Hilkiah, okay. uh, as we have mentioned, found the book of the law. So that's going to happen. And we see here that uh, Jeremiah is called in the 13th year. So to put that in perspective of Josiah's reign, Josiah reigns for 12 years. He starts to purge the land in the 18th year. 
Hilkiah finds the book of the law, uh, and then they really uh, continue on with their efforts to reform the nation. Is it possible that some of the prophecies we're going to be studying are responsible for Josiah's reform, or at least help to influence it? It's very possible. I mean, just looking at the timeline. Oh, yeah. And there are scholars that argue back and forth about, well, this prophecy goes here, this prophecy goes there. We'll save that for when we get to the prophecies. Uh, But we move forward to Josiah, and you see it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. So Josiah is going to wind up uh, being killed in a battle, uh, and his body is taken to Jerusalem. You can read that in 2 Kings 23, 28-30. And Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, is going to take the throne, uh, and he gets removed within three months by an Egyptian ruler, and he's taken over as captive into Egypt. And then that brings us to this man mentioned here, Jehoiakim, whose original name was Eliakim, which is another mm-hmm. name that we have seen before uh, in a previous podcast we've done. But Eliakim, uh, who is Jehoahaz's brother, obviously also the son of um, Josiah. Man, I'm being really careful trying to keep all these You're doing names good. straight. You're doing good. Um, this brother... Jehoiakim is put on the throne to be kind of a vassal for the Egyptians. Uh, so he's kind of under the Egyptians' thumb, but he's still ruling over, allowed to rule over Jerusalem. Uh, Egypt remained in control for a few years while Babylon was out securing other areas, and there's a big battle looming in the future uh, for Babylon to take over. But in 605, the Egyptian forces are going to actually be wiped out by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar II. Then in 604, and you can check me on all these dates, 604-ish. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some debate on different scholars on this is 604, 605, or 606. But 606, Jehoiakim is going to submit to Babylon. And then we're going to get down to the next king that we have. This is verse 3. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So here's our next character, Zedekiah. Now, in 1601, Babylon is going to meet some resistance in Egypt. Jehoiakim takes this opportunity to renounce Babylonian rule while Babylon is busy elsewhere. And so Jehoiakim is going to take this opportunity to kind of get out from under the Babylonians. Um, 598 or 97 or somewhere near there, Babylon marches into Palestine. Jehoiakim dies just before an attack on Jerusalem. And his son, Jehoiachin, becomes king. Now, here's another confusing uh, set of events. This guy, Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, who would actually be Zedekiah's nephew, is king for three months, and then Babylon comes and takes him captive. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar captures Jerusalem, carries off the treasure, uh, takes some captives with him, and then puts Zedekiah on the throne. So that's how Zedekiah gets there. Who also has other names that he yeah. goes by, but yeah, I didn't want to bring him up just yeah. for the sake of my own confusion. Let's use it. we're using the names in the first part of Jeremiah, right? So Zedekiah makes this a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, but Zedekiah was a weak ruler; he was afraid of his advisors, uh, but he was drawn to Jeremiah during his reign. Babylon, when he wasn't trying to kill him, right? When he wasn't trying to kill him uh, during his reign. <laughs> Babylon and Egypt and some independent nations are all jockeying for influence. So this is a really, we say all this, and I know it's really hard to follow when you're just listening to it, but 
at least get the idea that there's a ton of stuff going on during Jeremiah's life. Yeah. While he is prophesying, all these things we just covered happen during him. He's there to see it all. He's there involved in every last bit of it. Yeah. From the 13th year of Josiah onward. Now, like, when you talk about the span of Jeremiah's life, I like to think about his contemporaries and, you know, think about this this question. So, you mentioned that the first phase of captivity was in 60... That's when you started going 604, 605, 606, real yeah. fast. So, that, that one, uh, 605-ish... That's when Daniel and his friends were taken captive. Right. That's the okay. first deportation of the exiles, right? Right, right. And so Jeremiah has been prophesying 20, 22 years, somewhere around there at that time. So Daniel and Jeremiah are, are, are our contemporaries. Then the second one you mentioned, the 597 uh, captivity that Jehoiachin was taken captive in, Included 10,000 of Judah's best. And that also included a prophet known as Ezekiel. So Ezekiel was taken captive in 597. And then Jeremiah remains and he sees the temple burned. He sees Jerusalem raised. He sees the siege. He sees Zedekiah's awful end. Not to spoil anything. Yeah. Um, he sees all of this, and then he is taken away um, against his wishes to Egypt. And so, here here's the point. You got these three prophets, and a lot of people don't realize they all lived through the same stuff, but in different places. Uh, Daniel was taken to Babylon, and he lived in the palace. Mm-hmm. And we know all those stories about Daniel talking with Nebuchadnezzar, whom you mentioned, mm-hmm. and giving him advice and it, it was in dangerous and enemy territory, but the living conditions, if you were able to live, were, you know, better than others. Uh, he had plenty to eat, had comfortable clothes to wear, etc. Yeah. All right, now Ezekiel, he was with the captives. You know, he was, he was out in a concentration camp in Babylon, not in the palace, but, you know, with the refugees or whatever you want to call them, the exiles in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And then you have Jeremiah. He got to stay home, but he witnessed all the pillaging and sieging and right. cannibalism and just horrible stuff that happened with the siege of Jerusalem and the final just aftermath of it. Mm-hmm. So who would you rather be? That's the question. Daniel. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> Sounds like Daniel. You know, <laughs> pretty comfortable where he's at. I mean, I know, I so thrown in the lion's den. Thrown in the lion's den... Sounds now that I know the result of all of it. Yeah, I mean, looking look, back, but it's yeah, pretty terrifying for Daniel many times. And, yeah, you know his friends are thrown in the fiery furnace and yeah, all that. But it's a good question. I think I'm with you on that. But you know, I, I don't know. It's it's just interesting to think about. Sorry, oh, yeah. I interrupted. Oh no! But that gets us through verse three. Uh, the last words there until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. The captivity is going to last seven years. And that is actually, uh, after this, if you go chronologically after verse 3, you could just put Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. I guess technically uh, you would put Ezra first. uh, And then Esther falls somewhere in there and then Mm -hmm. will come Nehemiah. But right after verse 3, then comes the restoration of Israel. And we've done a series Mm -hmm. on that. If you go to our website, 
of the 66.net, you can see this. <clears throat> excuse me, the series that we have done. Uh, listen to those episodes, but chronologically, right after verse three, in comes Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Right. But then we get into the actual text of chapter one. We're past the short uh, introduction historically, and we get into really the prologue to the whole book of verse four. Right. So let's look at chapter one briefly. And uh, I've got a six-point outline here that will walk us through it. And it all has to do with Jeremiah and God and their relationship with one another. First of all, look at Jeremiah called. This is the episode we're going to call it Jeremiah's Call. This is Jeremiah called. Now the word of the Lord came to me. So he called Jeremiah and uh, his word came to him. And God's word transforms and God's word... Uh, in Acts and empowers, and so we see that in verse 4. Secondly, we have Jeremiah consecrated. That's verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We've got more to say about that verse. Very interesting idea that before Jeremiah was ever born, he had been set apart. That's what the word consecrated means. Yeah. He'd been set apart for this special job that had been um, given to him by God. Not an easy one, and one that he wants to quit, you know, uh, a few times. But he keeps doing it because he literally was born to be a prophet of God in this situation. Mm -hmm. Number three, you have Jeremiah commanded. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Sounds like Moses. Mm-hmm. For I am only a youth, sounds like Timothy. Mm-hmm. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So the consecration wasn't enough for him to to go out and do the Lord's bidding. He had to have that command, that authoritative mm-hmm. cry to go and do it. You're not too young. You're, not, you're eloquent enough. You can do this. Um, so fourthly, we have Jeremiah comforted. Follow me on this one, verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Now we sound like Isaiah. All of these have parallels mm-hmm. you know, with other prophets. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. I chose that word comforted very carefully because sometimes the New Testament word paraclete is translated comforter. And uh, it, of course, has reference to the Holy Spirit. And verses 9 and 10, that's what they're talking about, is inspiration. The Spirit is not mentioned specifically here, but the Spirit is always the one who puts the words into the mouths of the prophets and the apostles. Uh, David said in 2 Samuel twenty-three twelve, The Spirit of God spake by me, and His word was on my tongue. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Holy men of God wrote as they were... Um, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you have uh, the Spirit's involvement here implied by those other verses of Scripture. So he comforted Jeremiah the way that he comforted the apostles. And 
their preaching and teaching and writing of the New Testament. Uh, then fifth, you have Jeremiah confirmed. Uh, this brings us to two visions that are listed here, and this kind of gives you a taste of some of the parts of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 11, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Now that idea of a prophet seeing, sometimes prophets were even called seers, has to do with visions. So mm -hmm. he saw this in his mind or in a dream or a vision of some kind. And the significance is given in verse 12. The Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The second vision is in verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. So that's important, the direction as well as the, the boiling. Because here's the application, verse 14. Out of the north, disaster shall be set loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. And uh, behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls, all around and against the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. So if you want a summary of what Jeremiah's preaching was, that's it. Mm -hmm. You just saw it after the vision of the boiling pot. There's going to come a, uh, a conqueror from the north, and uh, that is going to be God's punishment for idolatry and numerous other sins. Number six, you have Jeremiah commissioned. Verses 17 through 19, the Lord says, Dress yourself for work. Uh, one translation says, Gird up your loins. The idea of tucking the folds of your robe into your belt so that you can move quickly. And I say to them everything, and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. next section of the podcast, we dig a little bit deeper into some things that we don't really have time to do in the first section. And since this is our first episode on the book of Jeremiah, we want to pause for a second to really set up what's coming and to think about some things that we read here and also, you know, to notice some foreshadowing of what's coming ahead just to really get us ready for the study that we have coming on Jeremiah. And a great way to do that is to start with a preliminary outline of the book. Now, we already mentioned that this is a long, long ministry of Jeremiah. And it's going to mean changing times, changing circumstances, and also changing characters. And so Jeremiah is going to, it's going to require him to uh, address new and changing issues over this period of time. Uh, but his message essentially never changes. It's always the word of God. But there's, we keep in mind that we are buckling in for a long journey 
here in Jeremiah. I don't say that on the first episode. It's going to be a good journey. It's going to be long. It's going to be long journey and fantastic. We're all going to come out of this experts on the prophet little, Jeremiah. A little better. Yeah, there we go. Uh, first of all, Jeremiah gets the bad, or we have the bad news taken care of in the first 25 chapters. Prophecies of doom come from chapter 1 to chapter 25 and verse 14. And in that we find the call, which we read today. Uh, we're going to see prophecies from the time of Josiah in the next few chapters. Prophecies from the time of Jehoiakim, starting in chapter 7 and possibly going all the way to chapter 20. And then chapters 21 to 25, we're going to see prophecies against kings and prophets. And then the next major section is prophecies against the nations. We're going to see those in chapter 25 all the way to chapter 38. And then again from 46 to 51. Now, this is where I'm sure when we get into it, we might tweak our outline some. This outline well, is... Yeah, you're not given an outline that this podcast is going to follow. I think right. we, we sat down and we thought no more than 12 episodes. Right. So there's no way we're going to... This is not a verse-by-verse thing. It never has no. been intended. But you're giving our listeners you know, the shape of the book. Right. Which is a difficult thing to do when it comes to Jeremiah because mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're know, you probably planning to say more about this in a minute, but mm-hmm. you know, it seems sometimes... Like it's not chronological. They're, you know, not, sometimes it doesn't even seem topically arranged. Yeah, a lot and, like Isaiah, trying to, you know, trying to make it a nice, neat outline. Right. I guess. Yeah, we did that one time, and Remember we had problems with difficult. And what mm-hmm. we'll probably do is similar to Isaiah's. We'll we'll trace the narrative through Jeremiah, the story. For those of you who are not so fond of, you know. Uh, History and background facts will trace mm-hmm. the the story through it, and so that might have us skipping around a little bit. But uh, right. you know, anyway. So, but you're going to see in this. I mean, this outline that we're presenting here is not a, you know, just start from the beginning and clump all the chapters together in order to the end. This is specifically by topic. Mm-hmm. So we have prophecies of doom, which goes from one to twenty five. Then we have prophecies against nations which is going to go 25, uh, 15 to 38, those verses, 25 verses 15 to th- 38, and then chapter 46 all the way to chapter 51. And then we're going to have prophecies of destruction and restoration, and that is chapter 26 through 33. And there's this famous section in here called the Book of Consolation, and that's going to be chapters 30 to 33. So I'm looking forward to doing that episode that's going to be uh, interesting to do there. And then you have Jeremiah in the last days of Jerusalem from 31 to 45, the chapters 34 to 45. And then you have a historical appendix uh, at the end uh, in chapter 52, verses 1 to 34. And we've already mentioned where the other chapters fall in this outline. So these are the basic things that we're going to be talking about in the book. And within that outline, there are a lot of different types of literature that we're going to read. John Bright uh, is responsible for coming up with this um, classification of the material here. Uh, He just makes it really simple and says you have type A, B, C, and D. And type A is prophetic oracles in poetic form. So pretty much the familiar prophetic formula Mm -hmm. uh, that we see all over the place. Type B is biographical information 
And Jeremiah is very unique in the amount of material that it has of this type uh, among the other prophets. Yeah, I think it's what our listeners will find to be most interesting. I'll get. I was go ahead and continue with this, and then I'll do. Okay. What I was going to do. Type C is prose sermons. So these are going to be sermons that are delivered, not uh, not the poetic, familiar, prophetic uh, form, but prose sermon, a lot like. Peter and Acts two something like that. Yeah, all they all all they care about is whether it's short. Okay, yeah. These uh, short sermons. Yeah, they'll shortish, I guess. Uh, and then type D, the final one is autobiographical material. This is going to be where Jeremiah is going to make some what have been called confessions. Uh, him talking about the struggles that he has with the uh, oppression that he gets uh, that we read in chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen. The oppression he's going to see from the entire nation of Israel. So mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to be against him. We know Josiah is not early on, but eventually yeah. we see that everybody's against him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that some a lot of this is biographical, and I wanted to give a quick biographical sketch of Jeremiah's life as revealed mostly through his prophecy, but from other sources as well. Uh, also, um, one thing we didn't mention is uh, a very important person in this book, Baruch the scribe. Right. Uh, you know, it, we don't learn it till we get to chapter 36, verse 4, but this prophecy was given as Jeremiah dictated it to Baruch. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if that's the reason for the structure of Jeremiah. It's loose structure. Because, you know, there's a story where Jehoiakim is cutting Jeremiah's scroll the scroll of his prophecies, and throwing it into the fire at his winter palace. And then Jeremiah goes yeah. back to Beirut, and he goes, okay, let's start back over. And mm-hmm. uh, he starts dictating to Beirut. But uh, throw that in there. Uh, Beirut was a very important person in Jeremiah's life. Uh, Jeremiah did not have any family to speak of. In fact, he was commanded by God not to marry. Uh, he was single, as Paul and Jesus were. His name means Jehovah Hurls. But uh, he's more—he's better known by his nickname, the Weeping Prophet. Right. There's a lot of examples of how his tears flowed over what was happening to God's people. Uh, we had a little discussion about the priest who was his father, Hilkiah. Uh, he was born in Anathoth, and we mentioned that that's just a few miles north uh, northeast of Jerusalem. He probably had to have started to prophesy as a teenager. Estimates range from 13 to 18, but he was young, and that's one of the reasons why he protested against the Lord. And you would expect a young man to say something like that mm-hmm. in the beginning, given this, uh, if he was a responsible young man, given this uh, enormous duty, this burden that he was given. Right. Um, another thing that we've already mentioned is that he witnessed the Reformation of Josiah probably helped to influence it. He was there definitely supporting the king. He was present at Josiah's funeral. Uh, You'll remember Josiah died in battle against Pharaoh Necho at Carchemish or somewhere like that. He was battling Egypt against the Lord's wishes, by the way. But uh, when he died, uh, Jeremiah wrote a dirge lamenting his death, Uh, 2 Chronicles 35-25. He is also the author of Lamentations, which uh, you know shouldn't surprise us, uh, seeing the kind of life that he led. He suffered a lot of persecution during Jehoiakim's reign and confronted Jehoiakim, who burnt his prophecies. 
He advised Zedekiah to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, which Zedekiah refused to do. He arrested Jeremiah, imprisoned him. Um, Jeremiah predicted Judah's downfall, but he always, in his prophecies, had an element of hope, and he talked a lot about a remnant who would return from captivity. And so he did always have that optimism. He's accused of treason. He's thrown into a pit. Uh, He's delivered out of the pit by an Ethiopian and restored to the court of the guard. And then after Judah is conquered, Nebuchadnezzar gives these instructions regarding Jeremiah. And I found this to be interesting. He said in Jeremiah 39, 12, Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. He put a governor in charge after Zedekiah's removal, and uh, that governor is assassinated. And so after that, Jeremiah is carried to Egypt against his wishes, where there was a large Jewish contingency at that time. And while he's in Egypt, he's continuing to predict distress to the Jews and the coming of Nebuchadnezzar to Egypt. He tries in vain to wean the Jews in Egypt away from idolatry and and that's kind of where his story ends. We we don't know what it became of him. We don't know if he died in Egypt, if he died of natural causes, if he was assassinated. Mm-hmm. We would like to think that, you know, the Lord protected him as he did through the worst tragedies of Jerusalem's history. He survived right. that. So surely he could have survived Egypt. But uh, there is a lot of biographical information. If any of that interested you, get ready because we'll definitely be you know, hashing that out throughout the podcast on Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And there are several things that he faces that are going to be consistent themes throughout the entire book. So really quick, I want to shoot through a few uh, themes that we're going to see throughout Jeremiah. Uh, the first one is really interesting to me, and that's just going to be uh, God himself. We're going to get a look at Jeremiah's view of God uh, concerning God's power, God's patience, and God's love. So there's going to be some very interesting things there uh, concerning our theology as we get into the book. Uh, also, the covenant, the old law, is yeah. uh, permeated throughout the book. Uh, it's going to be referenced many times, commands, curses, obedience, and Israel as God's chosen people. Uh, will certainly be brought to our minds over and over again. And the new covenant is prophesied as right. well. Uh, so, mm-hmm. more clearly than in any other Old Testament book of the Bible. Right, that when we get to chapter 31, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. we'll be uh, having a lot of good discussion on that. Uh, this next one is sin and apostasy. We looked at chapter 1 and verse 10 already. Uh, those four verbs that God uses there... He says, See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Those four, those first four verbs there, speaking of destruction, are used all throughout this book. So get ready to see a lot of those words, or get ready to see those words a lot as we continue on, because like you mentioned, a lot of this is negative prophecy against um, Israel. And here's why. We've seen in chapter 1, because they have uh, rejected God's word, they have turned from God, they've believed in and practiced lies, they've confused the worship of God with service to false gods, they have deliberately disobeyed the covenant by participating in child sacrifice, they have worshipped physical structures. Uh, And interestingly enough, verses 18 and 19 give some really 
uh, I guess a really grim foreshadowing of what's to come. This is 18. Yeah. And I, behold, I will make you this day a fortified city and iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land. It sounds great. You know, God's going to make Jeremiah this huge city with fortified walls, but look what it's against. The whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So he is a fortified city, but he's empty. There's nobody right. but him inside the walls. That's, I'm actually so going to write sad, that quote down. You know, it's a sad good. image. He's yeah. a, he's a, he really is alone throughout most of the book. I mentioned like he's thrown into that pit, and there's this Ethiopian that comes to his aid. There's another time where he's about to be put to death, and a few officials remember the prophet, I think Micah, and they come to his rescue. But there's very few times when... Anybody is on his side. We see him go through all of this misery, and he just can't quit preaching. You know, he can't mm-hmm. quit doing the thing that's causing him pain. But the Lord lived right. up to his promise, uh, promise. They did not prevail against him. You know? Right. And I think this really, the the setting into which it's written here, and then you look at what he says, who he's talking about, the kings, the officials, the priests, the priests were corrupt. The leadership had failed. Uh, the priests had failed to teach the law. The kings really didn't care what was going on, anything other than with them on their own selves. They oppressed the poor, thought only of themselves with no concern for God or for the covenant. Prophets spoke lies and preached peace when the times required calls to repent and uh, required for announcements of judgment as well. And in chapter 4, verse 22, when we get there, uh, God's going to call his children foolish and stupid. Yeah. And accurately so from the things that we see here. So Jeremiah's got a lot to deal with. Uh, another theme we're going to see is true and false prophets. Jeremiah's going to wrestle with false prophets throughout his entire ministry. And kind of this dilemma of the, on the one hand knowing that he had the correct message. Um, and then on the other hand knowing that he had the appropriate message. But it was getting such... Uh, I guess, terrible backlash. Uh, the unrelenting um, criticism of the entire nation. And so all the other prophets are preaching peace and being well-received and loved by the people. And making money. Right. Uh, and Jeremiah is having to be, like you said, this fortified city that's empty. He's the only one, the only true prophet in the midst of a nation full of false prophets. Repentance is going to be a big theme as well. Uh, Jeremiah doesn't only bring doom and gloom, he's going to bring some hope. Uh, we already mentioned that book of Consolation, chapters 30-33. to uh, And that's wrapped up in the future hope that they have. And then finally, Jeremiah's complaint is going to be another th- theme that we see. Jeremiah, like the psalmist, is going to be honest about a lot of the feelings that he has. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be afraid to cry out to God and complain to him um, mm-hmm. about... Several things. The list is really too long for me to sit here and try and read out. But we're going to see Jeremiah complain and question God and ask him why he's put him on the path that he has. Yeah. Well, let's take a little break. And uh, when we come back, we promise we'll get down to earth with some practical conversation.
when you look at this book and you ask yourself, what is Jeremiah chapter 1 about? What it's about is an introduction to the story of God's wrath and his patience wearing out. Right. Even God's patience has a limit. And he has he's basically saying in Jeremiah chapter 1, the time is up for my people. I'm going to punish them at the hands of this terror in the north. And uh, we'll learn more about that, you know, later. But um, it's also interesting, and this might be a, a second practical point. That first practical point, by the way, is part of that theology that you told us we're going to learn a lot about. You see that you're already getting yeah. some theology, some, some ideas about God in that. But the second, the second idea here is that God chooses or consecrates a human messenger to deliver that message. Right. He could have done it otherwise. Why did he not put everybody into a trance and give them all a vision? Why did not he use uh, miracles? Why didn't he uh, boom from heaven, you know, just speak out from heaven like he did at the baptism of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Why didn't he use some other miraculous method, um, do something like he did on Mount Sinai? He chose to give his message to a man and deliver it through the pain and the agony and the anguish of the man. Mm-hmm. A prophecy, by the way, a name for prophecy in the Bible is often a burden. And if you are yeah. sitting around thinking, well, I wish I could be a prophet, uh, let's see what you say by the end of the book of Jeremiah. Yeah. Because this is you know, something that is a burden on Jeremiah. But it stands today. God speaks through human beings to human beings. And it's Mm -hmm. because of the sympathetic element of that, I think, or empathetic, if you want to use that term. I don't know if there's a whole lot of difference between sympathy and empathy, but, you know, when a man is coming to you and saying, God loves you, he wants you to repent, if you don't repent, you and I and all of us will suffer because, you know, it has a different impact Mm -hmm. than a vision or a symbol or a miracle or a a lightning from Sinai. You know, right. it's just something that is runs it's a theme that runs throughout even to today that mm-hmm. you know God wants to save the perishing through the foolishness of preaching. First Corinthians mm-hmm. one. So you have that. I think and, that's why it's so important for us to to follow the Great Commission. You know, it really just adds to the weight of responsibility that we already have, certainly, but when you go back and you consider how God used Jeremiah and uses other prophets to really take his words to the people, we've been given a similar charge, not necessarily in the exact same manner, but certainly a very similar charge. Um, but thankfully for us, news. it's good news instead of bad news. Right. He, you know, he had the, the right. bad news, and we have the good news. And he had this, you know, it wasn't just as a seasoned, trained, older man, but as we said... You know, he was given this in his teens, maybe as early as 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, Jeremiah's given a difficult task, and we might decide we want to save this for later. But, you know, a thought I just have was how so many times people that spread the gospel, you know, you have someone standing on a street corner with a megaphone and a sign that says something like, Turn or burn. Or, yeah. You know, they want to give... Go to church or the devil will get you, so yeah, it says on I-65. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. You know, they want to give... It's got the picture of 
uh, the yeah, pitchfork and the flames coming up. Not a real happy sign. Um, but I guess, you know, the tact that... I guess Jeremiah's got a really big problem because he's got to tell everybody this terrible news. And, you know, there's there's something to say for being able to deliver a message people don't want to hear. And I think the Christian message is a message a lot of people don't want to hear. But I think there's definitely... We have to be careful and mindful of that and try and deliver it in such a way that people will listen to it instead of kind of, you know, rallying behind this, you know, we're supposed to be... Uh, people aren't supposed to want to hear this. This needs to make them mad. This needs to make them upset. And as, to a certain extent, you're right. But you don't you don't need to add anything extra to the top of that. Do, do, am I making any sense here? You know, don't... Yeah, the, the, just deliver the message. I'm and thinking it, of let what... The, the Word of God is is powerful. It's God's power for salvation, Romans 1.16, not you. Right, I'm thinking yeah. of Titus... Two, where Paul encourages Titus to uh, speak in such a way that none of their opponents will have anything negative to say about him. Mm-hmm. You know, and then again, you have the passage you're all familiar with: uh, "Speak the truth in love." You know, we all we have a difficult mm-hmm. message, just like Jeremiah, but we need to be carrying it out in a way that shows God's love. And Jeremiah offers them the chance of repentance, but we'll get to that later. Um, here's another thing for apply. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Uh, and I think probably a lot of people see this one coming. We're going to talk about it anyway. Verse 6, where Jeremiah says, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. The Lord well, I says, tried to get you on that a minute ago. Yeah, I know, but I wanted I had, oh, yeah. a, I had a bone to pick, so I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> okay. Um, but verse 6, uh, I'm only a youth. Verse 7, the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a youth. For all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now we have painted the picture of Jeremiah being alone. And he's not like some 50 or 60 year old man, you know, that's like seasoned. And that, you know, I guess a lot of people will be like, oh, well, if he's saying this, maybe we need to turn. Jeremiah is very young. Mm-hmm. You know, as we said, anywhere from 13 to 18, that what mm-hmm. you said earlier? Yeah. And so in a culture where the elders of the nation are the ones that are held in high regard, uh, here you've got prophets, you've got priests, you have the king, uh, you have the elders of the nation as well. And these are all older people. Beards, long beards, mm-hmm. gray beards. And then here's Jeremiah. Really young beardless. Guy. Yeah, maybe he's got some hair on his face, maybe not. But this, I, you know, when I read this and I think about how it was taught to me as a teenager growing up, you know, don't anybody despise you for your youth, which is great and good, but Jeremiah had a whole lot of different situation with his youth. Yeah, I wasn't saying and, get on that 15 passenger bus and go to the youth rally. Right, yeah, that's not what it he's says. He's telling him to go put his life on the line. And, and tell, don't be afraid. Yeah, go tell, I mean, not at the time because Josiah is king, but later on, tell the king he's wrong. Well, you know, we'll, we'll hash that out a little bit. I I think in uh, the next few chapters, it's quite possible that Josiah, you know, Josiah came to the throne at the age of eight. Right. So he was younger than Jeremiah. Um, and during that time, Josiah and Jeremiah, these youths, had much to overcome together. 
Um, so I don't know that the country was necessarily leaning in Jeremiah's direction until Jeremiah was older. Yeah. And this reform, because we've already been over the dates, we won't bore you with that again. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It took a few years, what, the 13th year of Josiah's 13. reign. So Josiah's going to be 21. And you said the, the reforms didn't begin until... The reforms Much later, began like 18th year. Chronicles, because like God says in his eighth year, he devotes himself to the Lord, and then in his twelfth year, he starts going out and removing Asherah and all that kind of stuff. Oh. And then in his eighteenth year, then they find the Book of the Law. So it's kind oh, of like that's a, what it was. Okay, so the reform yeah. started around the time Jeremiah started. So yeah, like the um, year before just, Jeremiah got we'll the word. We'll just of the delete Lord. everything for the last. <laughs> okay. But um, I think, you know, or at least Jeremiah's youth, however old he was in comparison to what's going on in the nation, uh, I'm not really surprised at Jeremiah's reaction here because I probably would have had the exact same reaction. But I think the point here is a point we just made a second ago. It's not the person delivering the message. It's who's behind the message. It's God's yeah. word. And if God's word is behind a person, the age is insignificant. The insert whatever determining factor you want to right there, it's insignificant. If God's word is behind it, then that's the important part. The vessel, the preacher, is not a big deal. The person is not really that big a deal. Their age, uh, whatever. Now, we, we can commend Jeremiah for being willing to do all these things. There's certainly some free will involved. I'm not saying just, you know, oh, well, Jeremiah's nothing. But compared to God, he is. And uh, he has done a He's done great. He has done a, a fantastic thing for us to read and to read his story standing up. And, you know, just as Timothy was told, don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example in word, conduct, love, faith, purity. Uh, I think the same thing stands for our youth today. The things they say carry weight only in as much as they have proven that God's behind them, if that makes any sense. If you have a teenager stand up and start railing against authority and say, you know, well, this and this and this and this and this, you know, just a bunch of negative things about how they're so mistreated as a teenager, but their life does not exemplify those things from the example that we talked about. Love, conduct, uh, faith, purity, those things don't match. It doesn't look like God is behind the person or God is really a part of their life. Then their message doesn't carry any weight, no matter how old they are. But even if you're young, if your life is exemplary, if you are, if you have devoted yourself to God and you are living for God and you are studying His Word, praying for wisdom, and you say something, people will listen. People yeah. will listen. Let me make one last application. Just getting now, this gets out of the purpose of Jeremiah one, but some of the things that are said about Jeremiah's consecration apply to the ongoing debate about abortion in this country and around the world today. And it really shows God's view of the unborn. He says in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That lays out three arguments against abortion and proves abortion by the scriptures anyway to be murder, the killing of a, a personal life. Right. A, a, a person a person with a soul. The, the first argument is creation. Uh, God says, I formed you in the womb. So God created not at 
viability or the creation of human life did not occur at birth or at the third trimester or whatever we want to break it down. But at conception, it was God forming, to use the, uh, the phrase of David, knitting him in his mother's womb. And then the second argument that's made is continuity. Notice the personal pronouns. Uh, God says, I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb. Now, if he's talking to an 18-year-old man, he's saying, you, the 18-year-old man, is the same person, are the same person that I formed in the womb. You are mm-hmm. continuous with that, that unborn fetus, that child, in the mother's womb. That's the argument of continuity. And then you have the argument of communion, because in the womb, the Lord says, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. So he's got knowledge of Jeremiah there. And it's just like, you know, David's words in Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 and following, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, He goes on. But, you know, the idea is here and in other places uh, that abortion is wrong because God created life in the womb, not outside the womb. Uh, there is a continuity of the person from before birth to after birth. It's kind of like uh, the usage of the Greek term brephos in mm-hmm. the Gospel of Luke. Luke uses it to refer to the unborn child, uh, Jesus and John, as unborn children in Luke chapter 1. Then he uses it to refer to the infant child Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Same word used to refer to both. And so, uh, you know, this it shouldn't take arguments like this to convince people that abortion is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the very practice of it is barbaric. Mm-hmm. And if you just took a look at what it was, and you took yourself out of the picture, and you didn't look at it selfishly, but you looked at it as, you know, is this right or wrong, objectively speaking... That should be enough. But when you go to the scriptures and you examine them and see God's view of the unborn, the picture becomes very clear that God believes the unborn are living human beings from conception and that abortion is is wrong. It's an atrocity that I pray for an end to in this country, and I don't know if that will ever come to pass, but just as Jeremiah's society deals with all kinds of horrible things, and we'll be discussing some of those. Our culture is not devoid of that. You know, we deal with the same thing, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, We really appreciate you joining us in this first episode of our series on Jeremiah, and uh, we hope that you'll come back for the next one. Uh, Next week, we talk about the unfaithfulness of Judah to God, and there's a lot of interesting ways that God gets into that, so I hope that you're prepared for that. Stay with us through the whole thing and give us your feedback. Something that's really helpful to us is if you'll go to iTunes and find our find our podcast and give us a rating or even better, write us a review. This helps us get found by other people. And so in your own little way, you can kind of be spreading the word about what we're doing on The 66. Andrew mentioned it before, but our website is the66.net. Mm-hmm. 66 is a number. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the66podcast. Uh, we're so glad that you joined us. Stay with us through the whole long, as Andrew put it, the whole long ride. We'll see you next time. <laughs>